You're listening to Payers, Providers, and Patients. Oh my. I'm Pyle Nanavati. And I'm Joe Records, and we are excited today to be joined by our relatively new colleague, Michael Shaheen. In addition to, Michael, linking your bio in the show notes here, I just want to kick it to you for a second to introduce yourself and give us a little bit of a summary of your background. Yeah, definitely. Thank you for having me, first of all. Second of all, I am relatively new to the firm. I arrived this past July. Prior to that, I was working at the civil fraud section in the Department of Justice. And in that position, I spent about six years investigating and litigating and negotiating FCA claims, primarily focused on healthcare matters. About 80% of the cases that comes through my old office are healthcare related. I also had some expertise, though, in lending fraud. Michael, today we wanted to talk a little bit about your experience at the DOJ and how data analytics are used in FCA investigations. Data analytics was a tool that we saw being used with increased frequency over the course of my six years at DOJ. When I first started, I don't really think we used it much at all. That being said, as the years progressed, it became more and more prevalent. And I saw it used in terms of both referral cases from agencies, and also it became a very important tool for me in particular. And what was the process under which you used data analytics at your prior role at the DOJ? Sure. When There are two ways to get assigned a case when you're at DOJ. I was a line attorney. A trial attorney was my title, but it's essentially the same thing. And there were two types of cases that would come in the door. One was from the agency itself, so there was no whistleblower. There was no formal complaint filed in a federal court. It was just the agency who had identified something problematic and wanted an investigation. Separately, there were key camps, and that was about 80% of the cases came through key camps, and that was an instance where a whistleblower could file a complaint. That complaint included specific allegations of what the target entity had done wrong, and either way, I would be asked to investigate the allegations contained in the referral or the key camp. One of the key tools I used in either one was data analytics, again, as as time passed. So the referral actually, more often than not, was generated by data analyses. DOJ and the agency clients that we represented were adopting increasingly sophisticated data analytic tools that could pick up unusual billing practices, outlying providers, or upcoding and in many instances, sort of red flag triggers that were identified by the data analytics would generate the referral. So that would really be my first interaction with the case would come from the data analysis, and then I would have to go run down the specific behind that. Separately, there were key cams, and this was kind of the reverse order, right? In this instance, the whistleblower would have facts, and then I would be asked to vet those facts. And the very first thing I would do in that instance is turn to data analytics to to just vet the very basic elements of the facts. And in fact, I didn't even have to ask. There was a memo that would be generated related to the named defendants or potentially third-party entities that did go through that same analysis that would identify unusual billing practices or outlying providers or potential upcoding. And... It would come with the KeyTam itself to me, and that would be an incredibly important tool for me just to know whether or not this whistleblower was onto something. Am I understanding correctly that the basic idea here is that because there are 
so many claims from so many different sources to the government that there's sort of a body of what the government sees as regular. And data analytics can be used to identify what is irregular. And that might be useful either in identifying potential targets for FCA action or evaluating uh, key TAM. That's exactly right. And when you think about, let's take HHS as an example. They have more coding and data related to healthcare providers, beneficiaries, practice groups, industry trends than any other entity on earth, really. And again, six years ago, they didn't know what to do with that, at least as far as I know. But they have retained outside experts. They have retained internal data analysts who have managed to wrap their heads around that data. And as you say, it's such an expansive universe that if you can apply certain algorithms, you will be able to identify outliers. So then due to its access to this data that no one else has, and now their data analytics capabilities that they've kind of built up, it sounds like they're able to identify red flags. So providers or even just particular instances like transactions that might be red flags and then refer those to you. And at the same time, when you get a key TAM, you're running those same analytics from a whistleblower complaint. So there's two different processes where data analytics might be useful to you as a DOJ attorney when you're assessing the claims. Is that right? Exactly. And I look at it two ways. As a, a trial attorney who gets a case in the door, either through referral or through a key TAM, I want two initial gut checks. I want, on the one hand, insider information. I want the whistleblower to know something. I want someone inside the company or with knowledge about the company to tell me about the alleged fraud. And simultaneously, I want something independent, something that can't lie, something that isn't disgruntled that can verify what I'm hearing. And that's what data analytics does. I'll use a couple of examples because there were cases where the whistleblower would allege a very elaborate scheme to defraud the government. And I would get the data analytics report that would say that this particular provider was on the low end of their billing practices, of the global universe. They were on the low end, that they were not an outlier and did not have any problematic billing practices, at least as per the data analytics. And that would be a very important data point for me as I move forward my investigation. The investigation doesn't end there, but it would certainly shape the way I investigated that matter. On the flip side, there might be a whistleblower who didn't have fantastic knowledge about the entity and made some claims that I thought if we could fill out that story might make sense, but I needed something more. And the data analytics in that instance showed that this entity was in the 95th plus percentile in terms of billing this specific kind of code. And that kind of data, again, shapes the way I approached the investigation moving forward. So building on that a little bit, it sounds like the use of data analytics is, correct me if I'm wrong, always complementary, that it's something where, well, I don't think it's going too far to say that an irregularity does not equal a violation. Certainly there are potential explanations for claims irregularities. So it sounds like the approach to data analytics is to use it as kind of one of the pillars of a strong FCA case. 
I think that's exactly right. And what we've been talking about thus far is really just those first few hours of the investigative process. And obviously, really regardless of what I've read in the relator's complaint and what I've read in the data analytics memo, I need to move forward. So these are just two sort of critical data points that I think shape the investigation. But then you actually have to do the investigation. And data analytics is also an important part of that process in that once I've now interviewed the relator, I've probably interviewed a handful of former employees. I've talked to the agency client to determine whether or not they think the allegations are problematic. And now I have an idea of the fraud, the alleged fraud. After a couple months have passed and I've interviewed and perhaps seen some documents and perhaps talked to the agency, I can zero in on a specific type of behavior. And the initial data analytics can't really measure that. And DOJ deals with third-party data analysis firms that will do much more sophisticated analyses on a very targeted subset of behaviors. What do those more sophisticated analyses look like? So it could target a very specific type of code. One instance, I recall we had an investigation involving a defendant who was allegedly using one code, one diagnosis at an unusually high rate. And we were able to go in and really target that diagnosis and see whether or not they were outlier compared to others in that one regard. But we were also able to tailor to time frames. So we could point to a specific individual delivering a presentation at a facility and then seeing that code spike. Or we could see an instance in which a sales rep went out to a provider and sold them on the test that they were selling. And we could see the provider then spike up in terms of their use of that test. And I'll give you even an actual example, right? The case that I took to trial down in South Carolina was a case in which there was a third-party sales rep firm that was facilitating the payment of kickbacks to providers in order to refer tests back to a laboratory. And in that instance, we wanted to know whether or not that provider referred those tests before being approached by the sales rep, what they did after they were approached by the sales rep. And in most instances, we saw a massive spike in the referral of tests from that provider. And we also wanted to see what happened once the press release was issued that DOJ had cracked down on this specific type of behavior. And in that instance, we saw the physician stop asking for these tests. And when you're building a kickback case, one of the critical elements is also pairing it with a medical necessity angle. And if you have a physician who says, I was only using this test when I got the kickback, that's really strong circumstantial evidence that we were able to use, and we got it through this data analytics company. There were specific timeframes that caused certain behaviors, and it seemed to line up with the data that you had. But were there also instances where it would just completely refute what the relator was alleging happened? Yes. Again, that's not the end-all, be-all. Just as finding sort of outlier behavior is not the end-all, be-all of demonstrating bad behavior. On the flip side, a provider or a practitioner who is not an outlier in terms of data analytics doesn't necessarily mean they didn't do something bad. But if I see that information come in the door, that's a huge factor for me in how I proceed. 
And generally speaking, if you find a provider who is not an outlier or even under, I guess, under the average for whatever behavior you're looking at, that's going to be a real problem. That's a fact that you can't really hide away from. And it often can completely undermine what the relator has said. And in those instances, I guess the plus is that case goes away. We declined that case when I was at DOJ, more often than not. For the target or the defendant in an FCA case, if the DOJ has done data analytics and or had some analysis done by an outside contractor, what are some of the ways that data analytics might be challenged in their use in the FCA context? The short answer is sample size. I mean, I think if you have an outlier event or practice, it may not mean anything if they are an unusual player. One instance I can think of this particular provider was providing a very specific type of service. So they were an outlier because of the nature of their practice. And quite frankly, we at DOJ, when I was at DOJ, recognized this problem. And so it didn't become part of the story. But if we had tried to make it part of the story, I think defense counsel could very easily have just dismissed it. So I'd say that's one very easy example that jumps to mind of how data analytics can never be used to tell the whole story. Kind of related to that question, do defendants know how you're using it in those early stages, how you're using data? Is this something that you bring up in your interviews and conversations with them? When I was at DOJ, I tended to hold some of my cards close to my chest. And data analytics was one area in which I tended to try to do that. I didn't want necessarily defendants or witnesses, at least in the initial stages of an investigation, to know that I knew the answer to some of the questions already. And so in formulating interview questions or outlines, I would phrase questions that let the witness either confirm what I already knew from the data or contradict what I had seen in the data. And either way, that's a helpful development for me. And I don't think defendants or targets or witnesses knew that we had access to that kind of data or that we were relying on it the way we did. As the investigation proceeded, again, as I mentioned already, it becomes a central part of the story. If it is, in fact, an outlier behavior and it is statistically significant, then it becomes a part of the presentation. It becomes corroborating evidence to show what we had seen in depositions and documents. And it becomes an integral part of the damages analysis as well. Do you have any advice for providers who might be in this situation where they are being investigated by DOJ? I think it's a completely fair question to ask what the analytics show. And I think you can get one of two answers, right? The defendant will get the answer that oh, the data analytics showed that you're a huge outlier, which is important information, even though it's not favorable, or you get told to pound sand. And I think in that instance, you might conclude that maybe they don't have a ton of good data analytics evidence, and that's an area to exploit moving forward. So I think as defendants proceed, obviously they don't know what's happened at the very initial stages of the investigation because usually it's under seal and it's not until they get the first CID or subpoena that they're clued in to what's going on at DOJ. But as defense counsel, I would be conscious of what DOJ 
data analytics has shown. And I would want to know that. I would have no hesitation about asking questions about data analytics as I interacted with DOJ throughout the investigation. Right. So it seems like the agencies are now realizing, or at least in the past six to 10 years, that they have this trove of data they can use. And so it seems important for the defendants to also realize maybe through discovery or some other mechanism, they can find out what the data actually does show about their practice if they do get to a later stage after the investigation in litigation. For sure. And I think, again, I would want to engage with DOJ earlier on. I think one mistake that defendants make is waiting too long in the process to really challenge the theory and also challenge the damages analysis. And I think data analytics is one area where if you get that story early on, one, you might be able to get insight into what DOJ is thinking in regards to what the data is saying. But two, you can reframe the argument and reframe the damages analysis as well, which is very important. Just to add one more point on that, for targets of an FCA investigation, particularly an FCA investigation that might be data heavy, if you think that the DOJ might be running its own data analytics, I would recommend that those targets reach out to a forensic accounting firm, a data analytics firm, or if they have data analysts in-house, lean on them, but put together an affirmative story of what your own internal analytics say. And then when DOJ provides its assessments on using its own analysts, Use your forensic accountants or analysts to poke holes in what they're saying. And just to illustrate that, I actually had a case where we relied heavily on data analytics to demonstrate that one particular target had utilized the diagnostic code at a significantly higher rate than every other entity in that field. And that target did put together its own data analysis. I will say, I think they were too aggressive. They reached a bit. And for that reason, we didn't give it the kind of credence that I think it otherwise could have had. But that being said, we did listen. I think there's a lot of opportunity to push back. I know data doesn't lie, but I think there's ways to manipulate the data that can really affect the liability determination and certainly the damages determination. So in closing this up, I think the advice we generally give, particularly in the podcast space, is that providers should always keep their employees gruntled, as gruntled as possible. And based on the conversation today, I think that's probably still the advice, but maybe with an asterisk that whether your employees are gruntled or not, the data analytics will show what they show. Yeah, I would agree. I guess I would add, not only should you keep your employees gruntled, but keep your data gruntled as well. I mean, I think that it's important to have a sense as to what you are doing in regards to others. And we didn't talk about this yet, but I think defendants are also increasingly using data analytics to measure their own internal processes and practices. And I think having a sense of what that data shows internally is another way in which defendants can not only avoid FCA issues and perform compliance measures, but once that CID or subpoena comes through the door, those defendants can do their own gut check and see whether or not there is something problematic in their own data. All right, great. Well, I think we'll leave it there. Thanks so much, Michael, for joining us and welcome again to Kroll & Mori. Thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure. Payers, Providers, and Patients Oh My is a podcast brought to you by Kroll & Mooring LLP. You can find more information at kroll.com slash healthcare podcast. 